Welcome to the Freedom Factor. I want to preface this next interview with a little bit of an introduction just because it's so important and it's so close to my heart. Slavery is real. You know, we we hear about human trafficking, we hear about slavery, and we think, oh, that's somewhere else, some far off place. Well, there's 400,000 slaves in, in the U.S., you know, there's 30 to 50 million worldwide, according to most indexes, men, women, and children who are being enslaved against their will and living under the most terrible circumstances you can imagine. We recently scheduled a private viewing of Sound of Freedom for our members and friends and family, and it sold out in 24 hours. Luckily, we were able to get another theater. We'll have another 30 tickets available. Go to Iowans, the number four, freedom.org. Iowans, the number four, freedom.org. Go to events or right on the front page, you can click. Go pick your seat, get your ticket for $10. They normally sell for 13 But this event is being sponsored by presidential candidate Ryan Binkley. He's touring Iowa, meeting with people. We've got a bonfire event that Dallas County GOP does coming up with him. It's um, He's an amazing guy. It's important that we hear from these candidates. You're going to love him. But go to iowansforfreedom.org and get your ticket. The Sound of Freedom is based on the life and work of former special agent and founder of ourrescue.org, Tim Ballard. I'm just going to read their vision statement from their website. We lead the fight against child sex trafficking and sexual exploitation around the globe. Our work is no boundaries. We go to the darkest corners of the world to assist law enforcement in rescuing children and ensure ongoing aftercare. We provide critical resources to law enforcement and preventative efforts that benefit at-risk children worldwide. Our resolve never falters, and we will faithfully persevere until every child is safe. And that's a bold statement. And when you hear that word sex trafficking, those two words together with children, doesn't it just turn your stomach? I mean, we live in a time where, like I said, you know, it seems like some far away problem, but it's really, it could be next door, you know, and it's definitely happening in the U.S. and around the globe. When I was looking for speakers for our July 9th event and our showing of Sound of Freedom, I found that we have a real-life hero living right here in Iowa who, during the last 14 months, has helped to free over 600 Christian slaves in Pakistan. His name is Brandon McNace. He's a minister, evangelist, and founder of Exodus51.org. That's Exodus51.org. Please check it out. I hope you enjoy this amazing conversation that we had. And I hope that it inspires you to join the fight against slavery and human trafficking.
All right, Brandon, uh, welcome to the welcome to the Freedom Factor. Glad to be here. How you doing? Good, good. I can't. I got to tell you, I'm. I've been so excited about this interview. I've been interviewing um, legislators and presidential candidates, and before that, doctors. And yeah, so this is kind of cool to be able to talk to somebody who's not inside that uh, realm or that political yeah. realm, but is a real life superhero. And that's kind of, oh, that's kind of how I look at you as a real life superhero. When I, I've got your website up here, ex, uh, exodus51.org. And when I, when I scroll over the icon, it says ending slavery around the world, Brandon yeah. ministries. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty awesome and pretty bold. So tell us about that. Tell us about your ministry and how you, how you got to where you're at, how you ended yeah. up on this mission. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a long story and, and everyone always, always says, you know, how did you even get involved with this? And, and I kind of back up, first of all, I just want to say, you know, appreciate you taking the time. And, um, I hope this, this benefits your listeners and, um, you know, I always like to address the fact that I'm just like you. I'm just like everyone that's probably listening to this. And so I think there's something special, um, you know, when we understand that God wants us to live part of a larger story. Um, and I think a lot of times we get so focused and I get it, you know, and in in, in these things that are right in front of us and we get so focused on the day to day that we lose sight of this journey that if we're allowed to step out in faith and, and obedience, that God can take us on. And, and I'm just as guilty as that as the next person. But, you know, I always like to say that, that there's always a larger story that we can participate in. Um, and so I always encourage everyone, I'm a dreamer. And so I want to encourage everyone that would listen, um, that we have the ability to partner with God in some just amazing things. You know, it's not necessarily, uh, uh, going to be easy. You know, sometimes it's a little scary, but for me, um, I didn't plan on doing this. Uh, I was, a in real estate, uh, worked at a large company here in Iowa and uh, did real estate development. And that was kind of my dream job. And then God pulled me out of that and through kind of a, you know, I don't know, you can ask questions if you want to dig deeper into specifics, yeah, but yeah, let's, um, you know, this all, this all came about because we're showing the, the movie sound of freedom for our members mm -hmm. and it's sold out. We sold all the tickets in 24 hours. We ran a awesome. theater. We've got, um, a, presidential candidate ryan binkley is going to be there yep um we would love to have you there but we know you have, you have another commitment yeah um so yeah. hence the interview but we met at royal flooring right yeah yep. and my nephew who is uh, your ex-brother-in-law said yes prior to that he said you have to have brandon mcnace on your show and i said yeah. you know he said he said you got to have him on your show he's an amazing guy so back to your story people say god called me what does that look like or how did that yeah. happen how did god call you to this mission yeah so at, at the end of the day i knew i had a calling of god in my life and i think people will resonate with that and, and you go what does that really mean right and so sometimes god will give you a very specific thing other times he kind of leads us in steps and, and i was the byproduct of the second right the latter of the two so i became a pastor and then um, after becoming a pastor left and became an evangelist. Okay. And so basically let's, let's, it, slow down, slow down. How'd, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, how'd you become a pastor <laughs> and how'd you become so, an yeah, evangelist? Yeah, yeah. So if you want to get me nitty gritty, that's fine. I can let's talk get for four in the hours, nitty gritty. So, I, yeah, okay. I want to know, yeah. I want to know how, how you yeah. became a pastor. So one day, pastor. so I, 
I, I'm in, I'm in, I, so I did real estate development and some pretty cool projects and I'm in, in the, um, the locker room, putting my suit on, getting ready to go back to work. Right. And all of a sudden, and sometimes God can speak to you. I've heard audible twice, but most time it's that, like that voice in your heart. And sometimes I would argue that that voice in your heart can be louder than the one that you hear. And I, I'm sitting there and I'm getting my time. And I'm getting ready to go back to work. And I heard so clearly in my heart, this is your dream for your life, but this is not my dream for you. And I was sitting there going, man, what? Did I really hear that? And this is my dream job. Like, did I really hear that? And I loved God. I was, I was, I was, you know, helping out at my, at my church and all that type of stuff. And I was just like, man, what does that mean? The following day, a mentor of mine at work um, came to me and he said, hey, I was praying last night. I don't know if this means anything to you, but I just really feel like this is your dream for your life, but this isn't God's dream for you. Wow. And I was like, okay. And so that kind of woke me up. Okay, God, what do you want to do? And I ended up, you know, if God tells me to do something, I'm going to do it, you know, to a floss or hopefully. And so I ended up quitting that job and um, started out on this journey of, you know, I started a business after I started a marketing business because I knew God didn't want me in that, that realm of work. Um, my father got sick. And so I just put everything on hold and he was diagnosed with uh, ALS mm -hmm. and it was just a, a crippling, it's a horrible disease. If anybody knows about that. And it took me on this six months journey of, we had to take care of him. So I couldn't really do anything else. It was probably the hardest six, you know, seven, eight months of my life. Um, but through that process, I was just broken and I was kind of stripped and I'm sitting here looking at a man that pursued all of these things, uh, the money, the business stuff, all of this stuff. And ultimately uh, he passed away. And, you know, he, he gave his life to Christ, you know, a, a couple two weeks prior to passing away, which was amazing. But I watched this story unfold and I thought to myself, well, what, what's the legacy of his life? Like what, what really is he leaving behind? And it kind of woke me up to these things that I had been taught, go out, make money, go out and do all this stuff. And that's not bad. Right. But for me, I said, there has to be more. And so I took a job at a local church uh, as a pastor. Um, and then I was a pastor for about a year and a half and the same thing happened again. I was, we, it was in the middle of COVID, right? And you know, every, if you're, anyone's exposed to the church world during COVID, every church was pretending that we were having church, but no one was at the church type of thing, um, right. during the bad stuff. Right. So we're the audience and there's no one in there. And I get off the stage and I go down and I sit down and I hear again in my heart, um, you don't belong here anymore and you need to leave. And I didn't even know what that meant. Um, and then as I prayed on it, God said, I want you, instead of being a pastor, I want you to be an evangelist. So basically in a nutshell, I want you to travel around wherever I open a door and I want you to tell, to tell people about Jesus. And so I started doing that. So that was, uh, I believe July, 2020. So I started preaching a few different places and just trying to be obedient. I had no idea financially, this isn't working out. I'm spending all of our savings, but my wife was fully on board. Um, uh, married, have three kids, and she's just like, just go. And so I would say part of the most amazing part of my journey is the fact that I have such a supportive wife where I'm like, hey, I'm going to leave the really nice job. And she's like, do it. And I'm going to do that's, this. Do it. That's Aaron, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and she's she, just been amazing. She was a marsh. Yes, yes. And, and so you... a very interesting family. <laughs> you could do right? a podcast with all of them. Oh, yeah. gosh. They're, I mean, they're just amazing. Their parents, they're, they're both craftspeople or craftsmen. Yeah. And they build everything with their own two hands. Tear down barns, build a new house with it, tear down this, do that. I mean, they're just... Build little buildings and little fun, you yeah. know, like a little guest house. And yeah. and their their place, Their I don't know that they live there anymore, but their property was like Living History Farms. 
<laughs> yes, and they're it's, constantly it's, working out there, and the work yeah, yeah. instilled in those girls is amazing. Crazy, it's crazy. Yeah, and plus so they're I, a very I, faithful family. Yeah, yeah. So I've been blessed to have that kind of you know in terms of my marriage, and so I got invited to go to Brazil. Uh, and it was my first international type thing. And so I'm going there and I'm preaching and all this stuff. And, and this Brazilian evangelist invited me down and we go to this and I'm getting to the point of, cause people are always like, how did you get to Pakistan? How are you doing this slavery thing? So I meant, I go to this big church in Brazil and I got excited. I was like, dude, this is a, this is a big church. I'm really excited to, to preach here. And I didn't get asked to preach that night. And I was just praying and I was like, man, why am I not preaching? And I felt like through conversation with the Holy spirit, it was like, Why'd you want to preach here? It was only because it's a big church. And so what I was like, man, it's my pride. That's that's definitely my pride. I only wanted to preach here because it's a big place with a ton of people. And so I was like, God, you know, strip me of my pride and all that stuff. So we, we, we were in this town. It's called Juiz de Fora. And no one knows who I am there. I haven't preached there. haven't done anything. I'm at this point a bystander. Not a single person. I preached in other cities. Not there. And all of a sudden, service ends. And this lady walks, she opens up the door of this church. It's a really long church. And she opens the door and she had missed service. It was like she was coming for something else. And she points at me. And I was like, you know, I'm married. So when an older woman points at you, you're like, did I mess up? What, what's what's going on? And uh, she walks up to me and we get an interpreter over. And she said, I had a vision from God. I don't go to church here, but he told me to come to Enriham at the Dista and Juista Fora. The man in my vision would be there. And it's you. I have a few things I need to tell you. Wow. And I was like. Okay. And so she said, first thing she tells me is, why are you so worried about money? Don't worry about money. God's going to provide all the resources for the mission that he gives you. It's a big, long thing she said. And the second thing she said is, um, uh, you need to spend more time with God. And in my head, I was like, well, I I write sermons all the time. I spend, and she goes, she looks at me, she goes, and I know you write sermons. And she describes my office. She describes where I write my sermons and my bookshelf. Like she described the whole, she goes, I saw you. And you're good, but you need to spend time with just God, just for you, not for anybody else, just you and him. And then she goes, the third thing I'm supposed to tell you is that God's called you to Asia. He's going to use you to set his people free. And he's given you a key to unlock doors that no one else can unlock, but he's going to use you in a, a miraculous way to change a portion of the earth. And, and and you need to be obedient in that. And so I started asking her questions. I was like, okay, what's the key look like? What's the country look like? Or, you know, just what are you talking about? And she said, I don't know. That's all I'm supposed to tell you. And she walked out the door. And so I'm sitting here going, well, that's a little crazy. The next night, I didn't get asked to preach again. And all of a sudden, a younger lady came up to me. and She spoke English in um, my arm. So I have a tattoo up my right arm. And she grabs my arm and she said, and I, I haven't preached in this city. So no one knows who I am still. And she goes, is your name Brandon? And I was like, yes. And she goes, okay, good. God gave me a vision, told me to come to Enriham at the East and Juispora. I said, so you saw me in the vision? She goes, no. In the vision, God spoke to me and said, there'd be a man with a tattoo up his right arm. He would be at this church and you need to tell him a couple things. She goes, why are you so worried about money? And I was like, oh my gosh. This all second happened thing, on the same day? Uh, one, the first day, the next night, the second is the second wow. one. Wow. Different person. She goes, yeah, wow. completely different people. And she goes, um, you need to spend more time with God. She tells me everything. And then she goes, you've been called to Asia. I said, yep, I heard that uh, last night. And I said, do you know where? And she said, no, he didn't tell me that. But he just told me that don't don't believe the lie that it's dangerous. He's called you there. He's going to use you there. And he's going to use you to specifically to set his people free. Well, I know people in Africa. I know people in the United States, South America. I have no contact in Asia. So I'm sitting there going, okay, great. 
I leave there. I go to Brazil again, but I'm constantly going, you know, what, what's happening here? And in January of 2022, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the show, The Chosen. Um, oh, yeah. 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 So we went to the theaters and we watched the show, The Chosen. And in it, uh, in, in kind of backing up, when you get in ministry, people reach out to you all the time. So they, you know, hey, we'd love for you to support our thing. And, and it's a lot of overseas um, stuff comes to you. Um, but there was one in particular, this person just kept saying, Shalom, man of God. And I'm sitting here going, hey, what's up? And they wouldn't say anything else. Well, I didn't know they didn't know how to speak English. So I go to this chosen thing in the theaters and all of the sudden they define the word shalom. And, and all of a sudden I hear this name pop in my head and I'm like, I think that's the person that's been writing me. That's crazy. So I told my wife, I said, Hey, this is going to sound really weird, but I think I'm supposed to reach out to these people. And prior to this, I was, I was asked to go to Peru and do some stuff and through COVID stuff, I canceled it. And, and my wife was like, God's going to open up another door. I just know it. And so anyway, so I get home and that person had already writ, wrote, like wrote me this big thing on Facebook and said, we've been waiting for a couple of years. We would love, uh, God told us to wait and he would send us somebody. We saw a sermon that you did in Brazil. We think it's you. Would you come here and help us? So I get a call the next day and I basically are like, okay, well, what do you do? And they said, well, we work with slaves in Pakistan. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. And this is what I, when I tell this story, people are like, what do you mean by slaves? I mean, exactly, yeah, exactly. what you think. Because we, we kind of think slavery ended a, a, a hundred years ago or 200 years ago or whatever. Yep. And so I said, what do you, what do you mean by slaves? He said, well, you know, you know in, in the story of Exodus, the children of Egypt there, he said they make bricks. Well, we have roughly an estimated four and a half million slaves that are Christian and they're owned because of their faith. Some of them are Hindu, but most of them are Christian. And they make bricks 10 to 14 hours a day. Um, they're brutalized. They're beaten, raped, killed. You, I mean, you name it. I can tell you stories that just would just, uh, just make you weep. But he said, I, and so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to process all this stuff. Well, what I do is I say, okay, God said Asia, right? So I Google while I'm talking to him. Hey, uh, I was like, uh, is Pakistan in Asia? And it's like, <laughs> yes, it's in Asia. So I'm like, okay, well, stuff's kind of lining up. And he basically goes, we would love for you to come over here and visit. So he's like, this is, he said, what could you come over in April of 2022? And I'm like, uh, let me pray about it. You know, I don't, this is a little weird. It's a little strange for me to think about just, I don't know any of these people and I'm just going to hop on a flight to go to, to Pakistan in April. My wife was fully on board. She prayed about it. She's like, I just think you're supposed to go. No one else really in my sphere was like, they're like, you're crazy. I don't know. I have no idea what you're doing, but I called another evangelist that I know. And I asked him, I said, am I crazy? Is this crazy? Like, and he said, I'm going to ask you a question. And this is a question that I've preached about. So you've heard probably like make Jesus the Lord of your life, make him Lord of your finances. You know, have you made him Lord? And we kind of maybe say that sometimes flippantly and don't really, you know, mean it necessarily. And he goes, I'm going to ask you a question, but I don't want you to answer it until you know the, like, till you know. And I said, okay. And he goes, are you willing to die for him or not? I'd, I'd never been asked that question before. And I kind of paused and I was like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm a Christian, if he gives me an assignment, like, am I willing to do what all of our heroes in the Bible were willing to do? Well, if this is my, yeah, yeah, of course. And he goes, great. Then you have to go. And he goes, don't worry. God's going to protect you. But if that's what you mean, then go. And that's costly grace, right? Not yes. Grace. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to yeah. cost you something. 
Right. Um, it could cost you everything, but are you willing to pay that? And I'd never been asked that before. How and long so, were you an evangelist before you went to Brazil? Probably about a year and a half. Okay. Um, just off the top of my head thinking. And then prior to that, you know, I was a pastor maybe for a year, year and a half. And then I had been involved in the church for, through different, you know, variety of things, probably for eight or 10 years or, or something okay. prior to that. So, and then after you met those women who gave you that message, how long was it from then until you were that was, contacted by those folks? Yeah. So that was August of 2021 that I was given that message. And then in um, January, roughly of 2022, I was reached out. And then in April, 2022 was my first trip. So not long. No. So it's it was a pretty quick, like, boom, boom, boom. And so I, I, I'm sitting there and I'm talking and Simon is his name and Simon runs everything for us over there. And I said, well, can we buy the slaves? And he goes, yeah, you can buy them. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I'm faced with a dilemma. I'm not making any money, really. I, don't, I can't pay our bills. And yet I can buy these people. And God, there's a line in the song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. God started breaking my heart. I started getting pictures and videos of these slaves and I would just weep. I don't, I don't know these people. I've never been to Pakistan. I don't know anybody. And it was just like, it was crushing my heart. And so I didn't even tell my wife. I just started using my credit card and I started just, I was like, oh, yep, get another family, get another family, get another family. And within a, a span of a few weeks, I had spent probably $12,000 on my credit card, you know, prior to this trip. And I had no idea how I was going to pay it. Um, I was like, well, if I have to sell my truck, but God just kept saying over and over again, trust me, trust me, trust me. Well, one of the churches that I preach at, they said, hey, we heard you were going somewhere. Um, and I couldn't tell them where. I couldn't tell them what I was doing. But I said, I'm going somewhere to help set people free. And that's all I can tell you. And he goes, okay. And so he said, well, I'm going to ask to take up an offering. And, and basically what he said is, if God gives you a number, write it down. And 100% is going to go to this trip for Brandon. And two days prior to me leaving, it was like 12100 and whatever. I got a check for literally... The, almost the exact amount that I put on my credit card. Wow. Like wow. almost the exact amount. That's and I'm sitting here going, huh, maybe God's like pretty good at his job. Like this, <laughs> this is, this is kind of crazy. So I jump on a, on a flight. I go to Pakistan and I'm there. I, I mean, I don't know anybody. I'm foot taller at least than everybody. I stand out like a sore thumb. And the day before, and you can tell me if I need to speed up or slow down, but I'll kind of give oh, you some kind fine. of interesting things. Yeah, yeah. The day before I get there, the prime minister of Pakistan gets kicked out of office. So I'm in Doha, you know, the airport in Doha in the Middle East. And I get an alert on my phone and it's like the U.S. Embassy is like, hey, don't go to Pakistan. Their prime minister just got kicked out of office. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, I can't go. I, I'm already here. Basically, like I'm just going to go through. So I, but I land there and right when I get off the airport, this secure, and I'm just praying. I'm like, God, this is so crazy. I, I'm literally by myself. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm in the middle of nowhere, Pakistan. This is crazy. God, you got to just like show up. You got to show me that you're with me because I'm, I'm a little nervous. And so I land and then this, this military guy pulls me out. I stick out like a sore thumb. So he pulls me out and he starts questioning me. Why are you here? And all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm here to visit my friends. Oh, what's his name? I could barely say his name. What city are you? And I'm like fumbling through my words because I don't know anything about Pakistan. And finally he goes, you heard about our prime minister. Our prime minister. I said, yeah. And he goes, are you here to overthrow our government? 
<laughs> and I'm like, like I'm going to jail is what I'm thinking. And all of a sudden I just had this thought, if God's really with me, I can be me. Like, I don't have to be anybody else. I can be me. And I joke around a lot. And uh, I looked at him and I said, listen, I said, if I'm going to be honest with you, if I was here to overthrow your government, I'm not a big fan. It was Biden was president. I said, I'm not a big fan of our current president. So I really wouldn't be helping him. I've, I've, I voted for Trump in the last election. And this security guard looks around or this military guy and he goes, we don't like him either. Talking about the current president and, right. and stuff. And he goes, okay, yeah, okay. And he just lets me go through. Like, the question is over. And then that night, I find myself in a van with guys with AK-47s. And we're driving out into the middle of nowhere. And we're doing our first slave deal. And kind of the rest started succinctly, you know, succinctly happening. And um, at this point, last year, in eight months, we set free 303 people. And as of today, uh, we're at 624 people. Wow. that have been set free. So and why why is it that you couldn't tell people where you were going and what you were doing at first? Yeah, so anytime and this is really for protection for Americans and things like that traveling abroad, but you're not really it's not it's not good to talk about future things, but we can always talk about past things. Um and that's really, you know, the Pakistani government has been amazing. They've worked with us uh, extensively over the last, you know, you know, ratcheting up over the last even few months. Um, and they've been amazing to work with. And they just want to make sure their guests, they they want people to come visit. Um, and it's for protection for us. It's uh, for the team as well. Like they just don't want anything to happen. Um, and so we can historically talk about things that we've done, or I can talk about things that we're doing right now, as long as I'm not over there. But anytime trips and things like that, it's just like kind of a safety precaution. Uh, you don't want to broadcast everybody where you're at um, and stuff like that. And so, um, but they, the, the government has been amazing to work with. Um, and you know, what I've seen, but this is this legal. Process. This slavery is legal, right? Yeah. And so, well, yeah. And so what, it, when you do some digging, cause I'm sitting there going like, how is this real? Um, another, it's another way of saying it would be like indentured servitude. Um, and so as you kind of dig into this process, you realize that technically there can't be slaves, but you can own someone, um, based upon debt that they have. So it's kind of an interesting system. It's kind of like a caste system, like you'd find in like India and other places. But I think Pakistan's roughly like 98% Muslim. There's like 2% uh, Christian, but they're like the lowest, you know, bottom rung, right? And so if you like here, we have credit cards, we have different things like that. Over there, if you get sick, you don't, and you're a Christian, you don't have bank account usually, you don't have anything like that. And so these slave owners, the, these people that own these big brick kilns that make tons and tons of bricks because all of their buildings are made out of these bricks. There's roughly 20,000 brick kilns around the country. It's a country of 220 million people. So, I mean, it's a large population and these brick kilns uh, are needed to build up. They don't have lumber yards, they don't have all the stuff that we have over here. It's everything is bricks. Um, but as you start doing some digging, you realize that there's really nowhere to go to get a loan. And so if your kid goes to the hospital or something like that, the only place they can go is these slave owners. And so they'll give them these loans. But, oh, by the way, if you don't make the payment or if you don't whatever, we own you. And so it's typically what I would say, what I've seen is 95% of the people that are in slavery, it's generational. So we deal with people that are fourth, fifth generation slaves. They've never known anything but slavery because if you're born into it, well, they're property too. So every generation is property. And you way back when on an original debt or a debt that you accrued, most of them can't read, they can't write. 
And so they'll say, you know, it's right now what we've seen is about $250 per person is what a, a typical on average debt is. So that doesn't seem like a lot to us, but they have a quota of bricks they're supposed to make every day. So this, I'll just give you an example. They have a quota of bricks they're supposed to make every single day. They're working 10 to 14 hours. It's sometimes it gets up to like 115, 120 degrees. They're working nonstop because they have to hit their quota. There's a portion of the year that's the rainy season there. So they can't make any bricks. So they have to borrow money during the rainy season um, because they have to pay for housing. Even though they're slaves there, they basically pay the person rent. They have to pay them for food and all this type of stuff. So the dollar that a family might get a day, it gets whittled down where you have a couple dimes. You know, you have basically nothing. And any other costs that come up, what they'll have to do is turn back to the slave owner. But if you ask these people, how much do you owe? Well, I don't know. He knows, but we don't know. They can't read. They can't write. So they will never get out of slavery. It's it's not. It won't happen. Um, and so they're uh-huh. stuck in this system of indentured servitude. But when people are, I, I've dealt with some people, they're like, well, it's not really slavery. If it wasn't slavery, then they wouldn't be considered property. If it was just indentured servitude or, or something along those lines, like we're just working off a of debt. Well, they're treated as property. They're beaten, they're raped, they're killed. A uh, little boy, you know, like just some of the most disgusting stories, but it's it's fine because they're treated as property. So 100% um, they're slaves. They're not allowed to leave. I mean, it's slavery. And you so, told but, me about the the father whose legs were broken. Yeah, I mean, this father was telling me this story. So you start, I start asking questions because I'm sitting here like a lot of your listeners going, this is a lot. Like, what do you, and so you want to ask as many questions. So I went on that first trip, basically like a large fact finding mission. And I asked tons of questions and I met this father and he told me the story of how men would come in and take his kids and rape them. And then they would throw them back in. And then when he complained about it or tried to say something, they, the owner brought this big steel rod in and beat his legs like the, and broke all of the bones in his legs. So he couldn't walk. Wow. Those are the stories that happen. And so the That's more you get into it, you know, it, it's disgusting. I mean, they get killed all the time. Now, the, there are laws on the books. And so we deal with human rights violations as well. And the government's have been amazing to work with. So if we have evidence of something like that, we'll actually now do court cases and stuff. But to give like a 20,000 foot overview of what we're doing, we're always about setting people free. That's always going to be the, the foundation of what we do. It's $250 a person. And then what we do is we take them for six months and we house them and we feed them. And that's about $50 a person for six months to house them and to feed them. So roughly what I say is to free someone and to to take care of them for six months, you're looking at $300 per person is, is kind of the rough cost or whatever. So that's our bulk of our ministry. We also have a school. Um, and right now we're just shy of about 250 kids. We've worked out agreements. Some slave owners are okay with them learning to read and write. Um, and so what we're doing is we're teaching them how to read and write because when you think about ending slavery, education is a fundamental like part of that, um, educating that population. And so we have the school and then we also have our first church and it has probably about four or 500 people um, that go to it every single week. And so we have plans to really expand those. If you want to boil it down to three sections, those three sections. And so we have land that we hopefully want to buy. And then um, we're going to build a new school that will hold and serve about 1,200 kids. Um, and then we'll build a church that will serve about 1,200 people. 
and then we're going to have our own housing. So right now, all the 600 and some people, we work with realtors and place them around the city. Um, and what I want to do is have all of them on site, like so we can see them. We know that they're everything's being taken care of. They can get to our church easier, and we can re- rehabilitate them. A lot of people. It's kind of like every family is different, right? And so, like one example is a, a man had his hand cut off. Um, and so, typically, when we get them a new job within that six months, we we let them save up money, but then we get them a new job. They can they're the hardest working people you've ever met, and so they can pretty much go do whatever. But there are cases where this man he had his hand cut off, and so he can't really do a lot. So what we did is we helped him get a fruit stand, and so he sells fruit every day. And so there's these one off scenarios that it's not like they can go get just a normal job or like they can go make bricks as well. It's a, it's a middle-class job for them over there. Um, but they're just not owned. They're not slaves anymore. Um, and so they have rights and things like that. But those three areas are, are really, we're going to, we're going to expand. And then what I would say too, is last year we did, um, 200,000 meals to people. Um, we provide medical um, services and I want to expand that as well. Um, and then we host host services. So then another kind of crazy thing, um, for your listeners Imagine being a Christian. I remember being at this service and after hearing the story about the the dad with the daughter and stuff that would get raped. And I remember being at this service and I saw this beautiful young girl and she has her hands lifted up and she's just worshiping. And she had just tears streaming down her face. And I looked over at the interpreter and I said, what is she saying? And what she was crying out was this. She said, God, you're all I need, but you're all I want. Like, I don't need anything else but you. And so I'm sitting here and I'm kind of pondering in my mind, these people have nothing, yet they seem happier than a lot of people I know. Uh, they have more faith in who God is than, than a lot of people that I would run into. And I had this thought, I was like, well, if they're only owned because of their religion, because you can't own another Muslim, I, I was like, I went to one of them and I said, why don't you just convert and become a different religion and then convert back when you're free? And the response was, we would never do that to God. So that's who these people are. And I I felt bad after asking the question, but that's their heart. They would never wow. do that to God. They would never deny wow. him in that way because of who he is and they know who he is. And so you're sitting there and you just get this, like the more you're around these people, it's just, it draws you even closer. Um, and so we started figuring out. I have a question about them, that. Yeah, yeah. I have a question about that. You know, yeah. it's like, I wonder when people are, the most suffering is when they they create the deepest connection to God. You know, we live in a 100%. society where our biggest problem is, you know, not getting the special sauce on our burger at the drive-through. Right? <laughs> My latte is too cold. Or, or yeah. you know, we're worried about yeah. microaggressions and <laughs> and and, and um, make-believe slights that somebody might yeah. be thinking. Whereas these people are really slaves, getting beaten, getting yeah, you know, working fourteen hours a day, etc. And it seems like the easier someone's life is, uh, the less spiritual connection they have sometimes. Does that? Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I've seen over there. We were at a, so we'll, we actually host services at brick kilns and we'll do bigger crusades. We did last year, we did two different events where we had 10,000 people at each. And then one of the events, a thousand people that came gave their life to Christ. I mean, it was awesome, but I really like going to the brick kilns because they don't have services. So, but by law, they're allowed to worship if you provide a service. So we, they can't turn us away if we say we want to host a service at this brick kiln. Um, but the, I remember being, to your point, I remember being at this one service and God, I mean, 
I have seen deaf ears open, blind eyes. In one of our services, this man got carried in in like a plastic, almost like one of those, like, you know, those plastic tables and chairs, those kind of cheapy thing. These people carried this man in and we were in this village and they put him down in this chair. And I knew automatically, I knew he couldn't walk. Like, that's why they carried him in. And I'm like, man, I'm going to go pray for this guy and he's going to get up and walk. And so I went over and prayed for him. Nothing happened. So I was like, I'm going to pray for him again. Nothing happened. And so I was kind of like, man, I was really just, uh, man, I thought this guy would get healed. And so I go back to the to the stage and we're doing some worship. And all of a sudden I see this guy and he kind of just looks down at his legs and he just stands up. And everyone in that place, and I don't remember his name, they know who that guy is. They're looking at this man and he hadn't walked in 13 years is what we found out. They're looking at him and he just walks up to the stage and says, I can walk. And I'm sitting there and like, so we've seen, I mean, uh, tumors. I've seen tumors in people's necks, like large tumors. Like they just disappear. Like we have videos, like it's the craziest stuff ever. But to your point, I remember being at one service and we're there and we're worshiping. And all of a sudden I just like, God was just showing up and stuff was happening. I was like, man, this place feels different. And I, I leaned over to Simon. I said, this place feels different. Like what's, what, what's, is this something I'd not seen? And he's, and we usually will have like a tent or we have a big thing around. So you can't like see the outside. And he, he pulls the tent back and there's armed guards all. And I typically will have like 10 to 12 people armed guards with us, but there was tons of armed guards around our service. And I said, you know, that seems more than usual. What's, 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 why, why are you, are you doing that? And he said, this particular slave owner is brutal. And if he got the chance, he would kill us. And it clicked for me, kind of what you're saying. These wow. people worshiped God. They were just arms up crying, God, we love you. And they were in the worst brick kiln we'd ever been in at that point. And so it's almost like the level of, of, of junk coming against them drives them into this state of, I've got God and nothing else. Like literally people were being carried up to me that I thought one guy was dead. Another people are lifting up their shirts and they've got like skin falling off. And a man, I remember this on the first trip and it just broke me because I'm sitting here going, they're looking at me like I'm something special. And I'm like, you guys have way more faith than I do. This man came out, uh, came up to me and he didn't have a leg. And he's through the interpreter. He said, will you pray that God would give me a new leg? And I just started weeping because I'm like, wow, I don't have what you guys are. I mean, they're looking at me like I'm something special. I'm like, you guys are special. Like I'm nothing. Like I don't, I want to learn from you guys. I can't imagine having that much faith. And so to your point though, it's like the more, and I think that's, you know, America is amazing. I love America. I love, you know, what, what America was founded on all of that stuff. But you realize pretty quickly when you have nothing, you have to turn to something. And that something is God. They don't get to go to the doctor. They don't, they don't call in for a prescription. They don't call, you know, they've got, they either, Hey, God shows up or I die. They don't have Xbox or TikTok or they don't have TVs. They don't have TVs. No, they they have nothing. They've never been exposed, um, you know, to, to outside stuff because they've worked every single day of their life for their whole life, their grandparents, their great grandparents, that's all that they've ever known. And then I, I remember the first family we set free, I have a video of it. And it's just like one of my favorite things. And when I go back and visit it, that first slave that we set free, he actually is part of our church. And so I get to see him every time. And it's just so cool to see him because 
he was the first one. And a lot of times they don't show a lot of emotion um, just because they're like dead inside. And I started on the first trip we went, we surprised, like they didn't know we were setting them free. And it was so cool. Like we just showed up and I, and I started asking them, you know, have you guys been praying for anything? And they said, for generations, we've prayed to be set free. My grand, and this guy's telling me my grandfather prayed, my father prayed and we pray. And I looked at him and I said, today's the day. And he just, wow. man, he, he just started breaking down. It like gets me wow. emotional because I've never seen anything like that before. And he starts breaking down and he's like, today's the day. And he's just crying. And I go up and I hug him. And then his sister who's on crutches and she's missing a leg. And cause a lot of them have accidents at these brick kilns. She starts weeping and they literally are like, we knew it would come. We knew. And I'm like, I'm seeing the fulfillment of generational prayers. And I have a hard time when God doesn't show up in after two days of me asking him to show up in my life. And so those are the stories. I mean, it just, I, it just rocks you because you're sitting there going, we are so blessed. I don't care who wins the presidency. I don't care what happens. We have no idea how blessed we are in America. You, like now granted I, yeah. I do things. I want things to get better. Yeah. But go travel anywhere else in the world and tell me that we don't live in one of the most amazing countries that have ever existed. Cause we do. Yeah. It's the truth. And, and we're teaching our kids to hate our country and that it's yeah. on slavery and everyone's racist and et cetera. And we, you know, we look at you and you're a real life superhero, you know? And, and I, I think that, um, you know, we hear about slavery in the world and it's just some far off thing that, no, yeah. sure. I don't know if that really exists or not, but you've seen it firsthand. And I think it's so important that you bring that message to the rest of us, you know? Well, and it exists here too. I mean, I, and I, I'm, I don't want to, don't necessarily quote me on this, but I, I read a statistic. I think it was like 35 to 40 million slaves in the world is what they estimate. Right. Mm -hmm. And sex slavery, you know, they're the stories that I could tell you of people coming in and taking children that we deal with, they'll come in and, and take them. And, um, you know, one story in particular, um, they, there was a bunch of, of men in an organization that posed as Christians came over and married a bunch of uh, 11, 12, 13 year old girls. And a guy on our team infiltrated that group, um, through his job. He's a journalist. And, um, basically they were taking them back to their home country and then they were selling their body parts. And like, you're like, that's not, there's no way that's true. This type of stuff, kids going missing in the United States, it, it's, it's happening all around the world. And kind of to your point where, you know, this freedom movie, I'm excited to see that because people just don't think they're like, there's no way that this exists and it's everywhere. It's, it's, it's in America, it's under our nose and, and, and all of this stuff is happening and we have no idea about it. And you go over there and you realize it, it's every day. Like, that's why it, a lot of times people are like, why aren't they, sometimes when you set them free, they're not screaming and they're not like shouting. And I said, these people are like, they're happy in a sense when they're doing the worship service and stuff, but they're dead inside. Like, I can't imagine, you know, I have three little boys. I can't imagine if I had to watch, not, not even like a rape or kill, like if I watched another man beat my kid and I couldn't do anything about it, what would that do to you? And so you realize these people live in this just horrible situation. 
and then they become dead inside and they don't have feelings and they don't have emotions and they don't whatever. And it just breaks your heart. Do you see, and that's gotta be horrid. I can't imagine. And you would have to throw up walls and that would definitely, yes, definitely change a person. Um, over the six months that you house them and rehabilitate them, what kind of changes do you see? Do you see some of that change? And yeah, so the 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 fun part for me is, and what we do is we try to work with them. Um, typically, the the area that we're concentrated in, they'll kind of be housed in that area. Um, but if they have family or or something like that in another area, we try to. The big thing for me is, I want them to get connected to a local church. Um, so, for example, we went to this one church. I don't remember the city it was in, but we went to this one church, and I walked in, and there was probably I don't know a hundred people at this church. And they were just, I it, just screaming, ah, like they were so excited. And I was like, man, this church is like, it's pretty hopping in this church. So I leaned over to Simon. I said, man, this pastor must really be, I don't know what he's teaching, but these people are super excited. And he goes, no, half of this church is freed slaves. And I was like, oh, so they, we freed them. Right. So part of what we do in this rehabilitation thing is I always try to get the people that we're setting free, we try to place them and get them connected to a local church. So they have community and stuff like that. The most fun. So to your point, the most fun thing, like just like that, that man that I saw to go in and be in a service and to look out into the crowd and to see people that used to make bricks, be there free, worshiping with their hands up, holding their kids. And you talk to them As of right now, and I think, you know, obviously as we scale things and get into thousands and thousands and thousands, I mean, you'll probably have stories where mental illness, like things that you probably can't overcome. But so far, the 624 people, they are, they just didn't even ever think this would be possible. So they're living a dream, even though they don't have the best job, they don't have the best living conditions. They're they're living a dream right now. And the crazy part about all this, I always ask them, I said, "What's, what's the thing? What's the dream? What do you hope to 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 happen now? You're free. You can do anything. Like what do you, every single family says this? I want my kids to get an education. I've asked that right. to every single family, and every single family, their one dream from the parents is that my kids would be able to read and write and have an education. Every single time, because they know and they understand that if they understand and can read and write and do all that type of stuff, they're set up into a completely new life. And so you realize pretty quickly, it doesn't take a lot to make them happy. Um, there, there's been a few people that I would say um, have been through some pretty significant traumas. Um, when we were there this last time, uh, we we were setting some people free. And then the guy that I took with me, he wanted to see everything. And so this is like one of my favorite stories. And what the slave owner had done was the people that we were saving, he let them be out making bricks and stuff. But he told all the other slaves to go into their houses, like their little shacks, because he didn't want them to see us. Well, my friend that's with us was like, I want to see in the houses. And I was like, Simon goes, well, he didn't say we could go over there. And I was like, Simon, he wants to see him. Let's see him. So we got a manager over there and he started opening doors and we started you know, meeting families. And we met this one mother. And this is just giving you an example of some like trauma. And... I said, you know, tell me about your family. Her husband had, was in the hospital. They had to borrow more money from the slave owner because he had been burned horribly all over his chest from the brick kiln, from the fires. Burned. I mean, it's, he has these huge sores all over. He's in the hospital. And then one of her young sons, because 
once you're two or three years old, you're, you're making bricks. You're out there, their moms are holding them. But once you can walk, these kids are flipping the bricks. Cause once you make the mud and put them in the mold, they have to be flipped as they're dried in the sun before they go to the brick kiln. So that you see these little two-year-old, three-year-old kids and I videos them and all they're doing all day is flipping and rotating thousands and thousands of bricks in a hundred and some degrees. But we started talking to this wow. mom and her son had fallen or something dropped on his arm and he fractured his arm. And so he had to go to the hospital too. Well, there you go. They have to borrow more money from the slave owner. So they're going further and further and further. They're not going to get out of debt anyways, but that's just another example of how it traps them. And she just started crying to me. And just and so I said, I looked over at Simon and said, Hey, let's go ahead and get this family. Um, and I said, let's get them next month. And when I said that inside, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was like, Oh, you're going to wait a month. That's oh, okay. You're right. going to wait a month. But I was scared because I'm like, man, we're spending so much money on, on this trip for these families and all this stuff. And I was scared again because of the, the resources. And finally, I was like, all right, how many days until we can get them free? And he goes, I mean, if, if we get the money, I can get them free in about three days. So I said, go ahead and do it. And we walked out and the guy that was with me goes, hey, just send me the bill for this family. I'm going to go ahead and pay for him. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. So part of also another thing that comes up is when we set them free, they don't have a number. So like we have a social security number. They don't have an identification number because they're property. So every single person, this is another like pretty cool thing. It's like an honor for them. It's, it's, they're an actual person again, but we have our lawyer draft up this paperwork that releases them of the debt. And then we file that with the local government. And then what the local government does is then issue them like their own social security number. So you're a person now. You're not owned. You're not whatever. Um, it's almost like you do these deals and it's <clears> almost like, like we'll go in with these heaps of cash to go deal, do the deals with these slave owners. And it's like, we're buying a car and you have a car title. Like if anyone's ever bought a car, that wow. type of feel, that's what it feels like. And it's the name. It's the blah, 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 blah. Here's the number, you know? And it's like, we're buying cars is, is how it, they're traded. And how do they, how do these slave owners, are there some slave owners that won't sell the people or that? So the, are less yeah, so, to, or? yeah. So by law, they have to, Okay. If we come in and satisfy debt, they have to release them. But what they can do is say, oh, I'm busy. Or I don't want to, you know, right, they can pull right. those types of shenanigans. But because of, of what we're doing, because of the court cases, we'll say, if you don't want to sell us, that's fine. We're just going to take you to court. And so then they're like, okay, 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 okay. Because they have to. Right. And so some slave owners, I've met a couple of them. Most of the time they don't want to meet with me, which I it's fine. Um, and then the few that I meet, they're just... It's an interesting power dynamic because they are little kings and little kingdoms there. Um, and really, it just takes a little bit of money and the power dynamic is upset, but these people don't have any money. So really what we're doing is just injecting capital. The laws are currently in place and we can pay off debts and we can do all this type of stuff, but they don't have access to resources. And so when you inject a little bit of resources and the power dynamic flips, um, even court cases, the last these lists, one really wealthy guy has to be tried in a higher court, thinking somehow we weren't going to put the court case on. And I said, I don't care. And I won't comment on the specifics of the case. It was a really brutal case. Um, it, it gave me like nightmares for a while. Some of the video that I saw of what happened to a young boy. And wow. I was just, I was so upset. And I was like, I don't care how much it costs. We're doing this case. Um, and he's in prison. Um, and slaves got set free because of that. And so oh, good there you. are laws in place and the government has been 
everybody's always asking about the government. They've been fantastic to work with. Every single person, um, they like they'll they'll help us however we need. What about um, changing the laws? I mean, what's going on with? Uh, I mean, yeah. So the, there are currently laws in place, but there's really no vehicle to enforce them. Um, so and a lot of uh, it's just hard coming from an American background, thinking of like speeding tickets and whatever. Like, there's really no enforcement of a lot of things because of the, the manpower or. You know, even I talked to a local government person. He, I said, "How do you guys collect taxes here?" Like, and he's like, "Well," and he's it gives you this long about. It's kind of hard, right? Um, and so for me, when I think I don't think we're going to be able to buy all four and a half million of them, I think what we do is I'm going to hopefully meet with the legislature and actually implement policy that can take care of this because there's policy on the books that that children aren't supposed to to work right in this type of work. And what you will see is the slavers will go, well, no, the children don't do this. Well, if you go there, you can see it, but there's really no one. They don't have the capability that they're dealing with so many other issues. They don't have the capability to go there and do this. So it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. So it's helping draft policy that actually has some teeth um, that can actually implement. And we, you see that here in Iowa around the country. You can make a lot, right, but if right. you don't have teeth, it, it doesn't really do anything. Interesting. And you, uh... I saw on your website that you're going to work until all slaves are free. So that's kind of a lifelong battle then. Yeah. No retirement yeah, well, ho- for Brandon McNace. <laughs> I'm hoping like in my head, I'm hoping that four and a half million is pretty easy. And then we can go to the next country. Right. Um, I mean, we'll never, we'll never clearly be out of, you know, the model that I kind of see, cause I want to serve the communities that we're in. Um, and the model that I see with the church, with the school, with the housing, we'll do wells there because I mean, people have tumors everywhere. Their water is just horrible. Like it's bad. And so I want to do water wells, but we'll serve the whole community. 98% of the people that are around us where we currently are, they're Muslim. I don't care. I want you to have clean water. So there's this, yes, I am a Christian, but ultimately no one should own another person. Everyone should have access to clean drinking. Like these are fundamental things that I believe. And so my goal is that as we, we make this model and we, we get it kind of proven out and then we start taking the care of like the people, like the blocks around our, our center and we kind of expand into the city and help businesses and take care of stuff. And it becomes a model where another city goes, Hey, would you come plant in our city? Would you come plant? And so even if the slaves are gone, I still want to be there for education. I still want to be there for clean water. I still want to be there for all that stuff. And then that gives us a model to go into other countries. It, there's you know, so many things. If, yeah. if somebody's gotten to this point, I'm sure they're wondering how they can, how they can help, how they can assist, how they can um, donate. Um, you're talking $250 will change somebody's life. Yeah. Um, $50 yeah, so, will, will get them, you know, rehabilitation and, Yep. And a different shelter. How, how can, how can people do that? Yeah. So if you go to my website, it's just go to Exodus, just like the book in the Bible, 51.org. Um, there's a giving link. So we have a giving a platform so you can give ACH, all that type of stuff. Um, I have a PO box. A lot of people don't like to do stuff over the internet, which I get. And so you can uh, make out checks. People can write me on the website, but we're kind of in the middle right now of an overhaul. And so I'm hoping the next couple months, we're actually going to release a new website, new giving platforms to really expand this because uh, we're going to need right. a lot more dollars. 
Um, and so hopefully over the next couple of months, we're going to make it easier, cleaner for, for them to donate. Um, but you can give as long as you have a credit card, as long as you have a bank, you know, like a bank account, you can, you well, can a better give. way to spend $250. Yeah. And you mentioned yeah. before. So exodus51.org and you meant the numbers are five, one. And you yep. mentioned before that it's changed the way you look at money. Cause every time you spend money, you're like, Oh, that that's a life or that's, that's freedom for somebody. And we're all about freedom. You know, we, yeah. I think about freedom the 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 day we met at the um royal flooring i was giving a speech on freedom and i was talking about you know freedom of speech you know freedom of you know the freedoms we think about in the united states that the rest yeah. of it we take for granted you know yeah. we take for granted that we can that our kids aren't going to be working 14 hours a day and that somebody can snatch them and that we're you know basically in change we we take that for granted that that's yeah the freedoms that we complain about are are different freedoms for sure yeah i think it's hard because you know when i was telling you that story um, the other day on the phone um my wife has to snap me out of it uh sometimes there's a really good movie it's called machine gun preacher gerard butler it's based on a true story of a man that goes into northern uganda south sudan and fights joseph coney and, and it's a it's an amazing story but he kind of loses himself in the mission a bit in the story. Um, I don't know if you've seen it all, but I would recommend it to anyone. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. But I remember getting back from my first trip and my wife was like, Hey, I'm going to go up to Casey's and get it. The, the kids have been really good. So I'm going to get them a couple treats. And I was like, Oh, well, how much, how much, like, what are you going to get them? And she looked at me and she goes, don't do this. Don't do that. And so it's this, everything is, everything is balance. Right. Um, and so, yeah, my my AirPods that I have in. I mean, if you want to do the math, right? right. That's a person. Right. Um, and so I always tell people, yeah, I mean, there's certain people, if God lays a number on your heart, I always try to be obedient to that. But also, if I'm not careful, because my personality, I literally was like, I'm selling the house. And my wife's like, what? Right. What? Calm down. <laughs> I was like, I'm selling the house. We're going to sell everything. We're just going to buy as many people. And she goes, whoa, 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 hold on. Like, this is our home. I, I support you with doing this. I support us using our savings for this. I so, but at some point there has to be a line because our family is matters too. And so what I, I would say, and I would caution people to get into something, even I was free, anything that you get really passionate about, you can lose sight of your family. You can lose sight of, of things that at the end of the day, I, I'm called to be a father and a husband. And you know what? My kids love sports and they want to be, go to camps and all that type of stuff. And it's so it's trying to find that appropriate balance. Um, and so people are like, man, I wish I could give everything. To, no, what does God say to give? And God, I am thankful that we live in this country. I'm thankful that I can go up to our local pool and hang out and, and spend time with my family. Um, my natural tendency is to go head down, probably like you with your, with Iowans for Freedom. I'm going to lose sight of everything. I'm, I'm just going to be myopic and my focus. And, and then my family's going to go, hey, remember us. And I've seen that story play out way too much. Um, and so what and I would have you, know, help. How have you found that balance? Do you feel like you found it? I mean, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I think for me, with my personality, I'm not a great organizer necessarily in terms of like my wife is very like, boom, boom, boom. Mine's like, huh, 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 like squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. I'm very energetic, very... I would go head down and I'm like, I'm going to go overseas for a month. And I'm going to like, if I wasn't married right now, I wouldn't even probably be here. I'd just be traveling around everywhere. Just whatever's the next thing I would just be going for me. I really rely on my wife. If I'm, if I'm dropping the ball, 
I give you full permission to tell me. And there's been times when she said, Hey, we, your kids need to see you more. Like, so I've given her that access into my life to say like, Hey, I'm not above you. We're in this together. She understands that there are, there are weeks that I'm gone or weeks that I'm very focused on things. But then when I'm not on a trip or not on whatever, when I'm here, Hey, we're, we're going to the pool as a family. And so I've allowed her that ability to speak in because I'm not a good gauge uh, of balance myself, you know? Right. Um, I understand that. I'm the same way. And it's a challenge to find that balance. I think I'm getting better about it and and trying to create processes and, and, and kind of like a, you know, some sort of rhythm, daily rhythm. Um, Because this is all, there's not like a book that's like how to set slaves free and start a nonprofit. Like there's not a book. Right. So it's, it's just learning and kind of course correcting as you go and, and understanding that there are seasons that we have to, all of us have to work harder. There are seasons where we can rest a little bit more um, as long as we're kind of going forward. But I also, and you've probably seen this too, I don't want to be that burnout story. Like this isn't the story of, hey, we got a million dollars one year and we did this thing and now we're done. This is a story of what does this look like after I'm gone? How do you set up things? That's why it's, it's Exodus 51. It's not my name. It's not, it's how do you create something that has legs that runs further and, and continues on after, after you're gone or, or whatever. And it's like, I think if we constantly are pushing things um, forward and not about us, I think it, that kind of stuff takes care of itself typically. But That's awesome. How old are your kids? Yeah, 11, 10, 9. So I was What do they think about all this stuff? <laughs> um. They uh, they know their dad's a superhero. Well, yeah, I mean, I I use that language. My wife's very quick to be like, "Well, okay, guys, you I know, come on, um, yeah, yeah." But they they know what I do. They're um, I think I I saw this uh, video on social media where I was talking. It was a, a guy talking about reading his Bible in front of his kids, and uh, or he was reading his Bible on his phone, and then he and he said he was like, "Man, I should really read the Bible because I think my kids are just seeing me. And they're probably thinking I'm on my phone." So he's, re- he's reading the actual Bible in the morning for a couple of days. And all of a sudden, his son comes up to me and says, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm reading the Bible and I'm asking God to speak to me and guide me. And his son goes and gets his Bible, gets his journal, and then sits down on the other part of the living room. So for me, what I've seen, they know what I do. I don't tell them uh, a lot of the stories, you know, especially like the graphic stories and stuff like that. But they know in general what I do. Um, and they know that sometimes dad's gone. Um, and I call them and we pray together and stuff like that. So they know what I do. But the, one of the most amazing stories for me is my, my middle son. I remember one time he got some money. It was like $22. I don't know, something like that. And he goes, dad, I really want to give this to the people of Pakistan. And I was like, well, just, you know, you don't get a lot of money, buddy. You know, you go ahead and just save that money. And I had kind of like a check in my spirit of like, why can't he help? Why wouldn't he be able to help? So I said, okay, I'll make you a deal. Why don't you pray about it and ask God? And if if you feel like you're still supposed to give, um, let me know and I'll go put it in the, the ministry account. So a couple of days go by and I, I go into my office down here in, in our basement and I see this little folded up piece of paper with tape around it. And there's money inside. And on the outside, it said, I prayed and yes. And so it was one of those things where, you know, our kids pick up so much. And do I want my kids to be doing what I'm doing. I want them to be doing whatever God's called them to do. So I think sometimes people are like, well, I want a mission like yours. Is that what God called you to do? Because I was going towards a completely different thing and God corrected me. 
And we have to be very careful. If we're not doing exactly what God's called us to do, that's how you lead a burnout. That's how you don't have the protection that you need, the favor that you need. That's how you don't walk in his grace when we try to do things that we weren't designed to do. Um, and so I think we all need to be very careful and ask for guidance. God, what do you exactly want me to do? Um, but in that, um, it shows our kids, like my big thing is if God tells us to do something, the McNace family is the type of family that we go ahead and do it. We listen to him and we do it. Now we're not, I'm not perfect. Everybody's like, Oh, look at this guy. I promise you, I'm not perfect. You, if you can talk to my wife, right? I've got flaws <laughs> just like everybody else. Right. But I, I will say this when God says something and I know it's him. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And that's what I'm hopefully trying to teach our kids um, through this. You know, one, my, my oldest is extremely smart and wants to be an engineer. So my whole thing is be the best engineer you can be. Give it all you have. Like, be, you know, those are the things that we need to instill in them. Um, I'm not requiring little mini-me's, you know, type of thing. But are, is, your, is your wife homeschooling or? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm I, on the school I board guess. at Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dallas Center Grimes. We homeschooled. Um, um, we started last year doing that. And so we've been on that kind of like everybody here in Iowa after COVID and you go hybrid and you're starting to do that. And then, you know, she really, she was a associate at a school and she really loves the teaching aspect and really got into it. And um, for us, we really, we determined pretty quickly on that we wanted a faith component um, with our education. Um, and so they do Bible readings every day and they journal and they do all of that stuff. Um, uh, I still love public school. Obviously, I'm on the school board of a pretty large school. And right, so right. a lot of friends and family go there. Um, and so, you know, obviously, we're going to try to make that better. But I like the idea of homeschool, private school, public school is like everything, right? Let, let parents decide what's the most appropriate for them. Some parents uh, don't have the ability to homeschool. That's fine. And so, but for us, we really, we my wife kind of led the charge on that and uh, prayed about it and there's been issues and challenges, you know, when you're teaching your own kids and, um, but overall we just thought, you know, life goes by so quick. Our kids are already, it's like, man, our kids are old, so old already. And so for the ability for us to invest into them, um, and we had the ability to do that and my wife specifically, we just, we, you know, we just thought it was a great opportunity. So well, and it's admirable that you're serving on the school board and trying to help improve the public school, even though yeah. you're homeschooling. I, I think that's really a good combination because you know, we all we all saw what our kids were learning and especially this last year, we saw a lot of things creep into the elementary school that parents didn't love. And I I do think it's important and homeschooling has skyrocketed. The percentage yeah. of homeschoolers right now. Yeah. And then we had, you know, we passed the school choice bill, the student yeah. first act. So, you know, I know that uh, some of the private schools are blowing up too. So there's, yeah, there's huge waiting lists. And yeah, yeah. I think for me too, you know, in, in that kind of vein, and is, you know, one thing I guess for me going overseas a lot is, is you realize that, you know, I've interacted with a lot of people in the Muslim faith and they've been amazing to me. We have different beliefs. We have different, even on the school board. Um, I'm probably uh, fairly opinionated. Um, uh, oh, I can't imagine that you'd speak up, <laughs> speak your mind. <laughs> but but what I've realized pretty quickly, um, and I was that guy, you know, years ago that was very, I would get so angry at stuff, right? Stuff you'd see on the news, and you just get, oh, well, you know, and and 
if you're not careful, it can lead you down this path where all you see is the negative and you just, what are we going to do about this? And it becomes this thing that guides you. And it's, I don't want that to be my guiding principle. And so what I've tried to, at least on a school board, um, there are people that have very different views than me. And what I keep telling myself, um, cause I don't want to get worked up or I try not to is they want the best too. They have a, a different way of getting there. Um, and so you know, the, the thing that I've seen, at least in our society, is that we've created these camps and they've gone maybe further and further and further apart. And we less and less talk about what we can agree on. You know, so I love to start a conversation. What is there that we share? You know, what I mean, um, but what I would say is that, you know, some of the legislation, especially in Iowa, um, I think giving opportunity for parents to choose different things. If a, a parent wants to choose a certain path, I mean, that's their choice, right? But as long as they have the opportunity and they know what actually is happening and and have visibility into whatever, I think that's the most important part. Um, because from what I've seen on both sides, parents feel like they're not ever heard. Like communication is key. Like it's such a simple thing, but no one ever really feels like they're getting heard. So then they get louder and louder and louder. And at the end of the day, um, if we would just listen, you know, that doesn't mean I'm necessarily... I, I have, trust me, I have, I have meetings with people that I probably agree on very little, um, but I respect them and I listen to their opinion. Um, and even our, our boys, they've said some stuff before that they've heard. And I said, unless you can argue your point on a like a policy or, a, you know, especially in politics, I was like, if we don't know why you stand for something, I don't want you to say something. And so trying to teach them to be intentional. I think that's, if I can understand what the other person's thinking, because for me, here, here's like a prime example. I have to walk into a slave owner's land, his little kingdom, and I shake his hand. And I thank him for allowing us to be here all while I know what he's doing to those people. Right. It takes everything inside of me to not like, especially when I first went there, I'm like, I just want to just strangle this guy. Like he's oh, just an sure. evil person, but he's been raised his father and his grandfather and his great grandfather did the same thing. That's all he's ever known. And so if I can, now there's certain times that it doesn't work out this way, be as nice as I can, um, extend grace as much as I can. And I would just tell him, thank you so much for working with us. We really appreciate you working with us. Um, we look forward to seeing you in the future. Now, ideally, I'm going to take all your slaves from you. Um, but I'm going to, in the process, I'm going to be extremely nice to you and because they're people too. Um, and so I think going through those interactions, when I come here, the stuff that used to make me really angry on the school board and stuff like that. It's not that it's not important anymore, but it turns into this like small potatoes thing for right. me. Right. You've got a whole different perspective now. Yeah. And so my lens has changed. And so I would say I have a lot more now, a lot more grace for others than I probably did before. Um, and typically on the people that don't agree or, you know, think a different way, there's typically something that has happened to them you know, a past trauma. There, there are things, the reason they're so passionate about X, Y, Z a lot of times is because something has happened and it just takes that conversation of saying, you know, wh what, why, wh why would you think that way? And you realize pretty quickly, you know, if I lived in a different country, if I was exposed to a different thing, I probably would have different views as well. Um, and so trying to extend them that grace, I think is important. Right. Yeah, for sure. You know, and your faith, I'm sure helps a lot in that. I mean, my, my mom always talked about, or at least I know that she believed that um, there was a Christ within every person, you know, um, when Mother Teresa 
was asked, what are you doing in Calcutta? And she said, I'm taking care of Christ in all his distressed forms. You know, there's some sort of, you know, and when Christ said the kingdom of God is within you, you know, it's, it's buried, it's buried under this ego. It's buried under these beliefs, buried under these things we've learned. And we, you know, love your neighbor. We should treat people with kindness and understand that within there, there's a spark of life that's beautiful and could shine through if we can reach it or, or get to it somehow, you know. Some of the most amazing people that I've met are of the Muslim faith. They have been so generous, so kind to me. Um, and at the end of the day, they believe in our mission still. Right. right. And so you're sitting there and you're like, what the world is going to tell us is that we need to be divided and we need whatever. Right. And you're sitting here going, we have much more in common. Now, not everyone, no. but there are certain people that I'm sitting here that have given me hope because I'm sitting there going, if I can sit across the table from somebody that the world has told me hates me and I'm supposed to hate them. And we have some of the most amazing dinners and some of the most amazing people laughing, joking with them. Um, it's just really opened my eyes to um, the idea of humanity. And it's just, it's, it changes everything when you have these experiences with these people that you're, you know, supposed to not like, and you're going, well, they're great. You know, they're great people. And you realize it's just the, where they were born. They're great people, though. If they were born here, we'd probably have been friends. Well, and we have to get back to that idea that we're all human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, we constantly are dividing ourselves into smaller and smaller and smaller groups based on different identities or different, yep. you know, genders or or skin color or whatever else. Yep. There's there's a, an infinite number of ways to divide ourselves. Yeah. When we come back to, Hey, we're all human beings, you know, um, we're, we're all connected because we're part of the human race. We're children under God. I mean, that's, that's how we come together and, and cross those barriers. Some of the greatest spiritual leaders are the leaders that, you know, you had Thich Nhat Hanh, who was Buddhist. You had Thomas Merton, who was a Catholic monk. You had, um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, those guys came together and worked together, loved each other and, considered each other brothers and yep. created incredible positive change. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But anyway, well, Brandon, thanks so much for joining us. Um, yeah. You know, your mission is, um, it's something that I don't know how you could not hear about it and not want to be a part of it or how you could hear about it and not want to be a part of it. Yeah. I think every, every man kind of wants to be, a hero. We all have that internal desire to save people, to lift people up, to protect the innocent, to um, cherish the feminine. And when I hear your story and I hear what you're doing, I mean, it just tugs at my heart. I mean, it's just, I want to be involved. So I I hope that some, somehow we'll find a way to do that. But yeah. Yeah, I think like what I talked about, all you know, kind of a good way to end this is going back to the beginning when I said we were created to live <clears throat> part of a larger story. And I think all of us, uh, there's a book by John Eldridge, Wild at Heart, and it talks about, you know, I've there's an it. adventure to live, there's a beauty to rescue. And as men, we are created very specifically to protect, to love, to, to chase after things, to live an adventure. Um, and what I would say is, what I've realized is that sense of adventure, um, 
and you can probably attest to this. I, I remember back when I, I working at wherever, right? How many people thought to themselves, man, I can't wait till till Monday comes around. I'm so excited for the weekend to be over. <laughs> and so what happens is most people go, oh, Friday is almost here. And they live for Friday night and Saturday. And oh, Sunday I'm dreading. And I used to be that person. Oh, I'm dreading. And I'm like, what a small way to live. And so God, there's a there's an amazing book. It's called The Dream Giver. It's a really small little book. Um, but it talks about how all of us are given dreams. We have passions and we want to, we should pursue them, but the world kind of, as you get out of that circle of, cause no one else that's hating their job wants, what's he doing? I, you know, you should stay here. You should, no one really wants you to go out and do the thing because what that does is show them that they're missing out on something. And so to your point, what I would say is once I stepped into this, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea where this is going, but it is an adventure. And we are, I tell people, they're like, I was like, if everything stopped today, if funding, if everything stopped today, and if you were to say a little over a year ago, hey, Brandon, you're going to have a church, you're going to have a school for slave kids, you're going to have uh, set 624 people free, you're going to give out 200,000 meals, you're going to preach to tens of thousands of people at different events. We just last week did a leaders, uh, we had 10% of the Christian leaders in the entire country at our event. If you would just list out the stuff that I've done to this point, you're going to do that. I'd go, man, if I could do that, that would be great. Like that, if, if that's all I did, that would be great. 624 people times go out generations that turns into a lot of people are now free. I'm happy already. Like I never thought that this was possible. So anything else every day is just icing on the cake. And so I would encourage everyone, like if there's that dream, if there's that little business to start or whatever, like, man, just go for it. Like the worst thing you can do is fail and then be where you were at. Like, and so it's like exactly. live part of that larger adventure. Um, because it, especially for guy, I mean, it just does something to us when you're, when you're part of a larger story. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's wonderful. And something for people to think about. And you can find uh, Brandon at exodus51.org. Um, you can give there. You can, I'm sure there's a way to volunteer somehow or to somehow contribute. Yeah. And I have social links. What I'd say um, yeah. before the website gets updated, you go to the social links at top Instagram or whatever. Uh, we do a lot better job of telling our story there and showing some videos and stuff. And so hopefully over the next couple of months, we're going to release a YouTube channel and do some different things just to really tell the stories. And we're going to get some videographers. I'd love to, I'm kind of playing around with the idea of, of starting maybe a doc, like filming for a documentary that could somehow That's describe the work. I've so, already anyways. envisioned that documentary after our first <laughs> conversation. Um, so yeah, yeah. yeah, and you can reach us at Iowans number four freedom.org or uh, myfreedomfactor.com. Um, part of what spurred this on was the Sound of Freedom movie coming out. We yep. we put that out there to our members. We rented a theater. Um, um, presidential candidate Ryan Binkley helped us with that. And it sold out in 24 hours. So we'll try to awesome. get a bigger theater or do another showing, but hope you guys can attend that. So thanks so much, Brandon. Look forward yes. to future conversations with you and maybe a trip to Pakistan sometime. Yes. Um, We're going to take you there. Yeah. We'll, we'll work on your tan. We'll get you there and get you all. <laughs> I'll, I need it's a little uh, hot. Gas for the friendly ghost. So <laughs> it's, it's a little spray. hot. So, so bring a tank top. <laughs> right. I will. I've got a big hat, you know, <laughs> give me some shade. All right. Well, many blessings. All right. See everybody. Thank you so much, Oliver. Our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain. Thank you.